0: You are listening to the Future of Now podcast. We share stories from technologists, futurists, and corporate rebels from across the globe that are shaping the way we work, driving innovation, and disrupting industry. Our goal with this podcast is to inspire you to explore new ways of working and opportunities for growth. I am Dan Levy.
1: And I'm your host, Aki Damari, and we're from More Space for Light. In this episode, we are joined by Jonas Altman, Jonas is the founder of the Design Practice Social Fabric, where he helps individuals and teams do their best work. Jonas, welcome to the Future of Now podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you.
1: So, I mean, your personal brand, in a sense, is that you are the founder of Social Fabric. You wrote the book, Shapers. If I were to say, let's strip all of that away, who is Jonas Altman?
0: Yeah. The last note I made was I'm a believer. I'm a believer that human beings are fundamentally good and that if given the chance according to behavioral econ- economists we would only cheat or steal a little bit but fundamentally uh we're virtuous and we want to do good and and to do right so who i am is someone who's trying to aspire to that uh, lineage of like greek philosophy of of showing up in the world as the person you were meant to be so Jonas Altman is just a name, and the Altman name is actually a German name that means old wise man or old wise man. And I come from a lineage of of advocates and lawyers, so there's a part of me that knows that my history has always been a helping profession. So I could fall into that, which is, according to my brother, is in my blood. So no matter what I do, if I become a gardener or a DJ or a plumber – I'm still going to want to show up with that. So I think that that's important to me. And my grandfather moved from England to Canada to make a better life. And I'm his grandson. So there's a an homage or a, almost a duty that I feel, an obligation. Mm-hmm. I put I'm seeking the truth. I'm a dreamer. I'm a soul. And I think as I'm saying all this to you, I realize that if you strip those away from me in this moment, I'm someone seeking the same thing you are, which is deep human connection, to be seen, proximity, to see you, and to not think about what I'm going to do after and not think about what I just came to, which would be, I think in Buddhism, it's called wu-wei, effortless action.
1: Mm -hmm. We're doing
0: a podcast. Let's do it. I don't care what's for dinner. I don't care what I have for lunch. And that to me is a way of Moving through the world because if a meteor came or I got hit by a bus, I would say that this was a pretty good way to go. Because <laughs> <of laughs> doing <thing>. a podcast <laughs> with me. Like, I was talking to this woman in Australia. But I mean, that, that to me is really important. And I know what I've been working with with my coach is that curiosity and connection and creativity isn't enough. I don't like labels. And that's why I fucking hate your question. <laughs> but, I mean, that, that to me is, it goes right to like that irritation of like I spent my whole life trying not to be anyone and just do what I do and now I found that I am eating my own dog food. I don't know if that's the expression. Is.
1: I that is I've heard that a lot lately. <laughs>
0: I'd rather be eating your food in the slow movement. So that that's really interesting to me. And you know the other concept is called total work, which is the idea that work has become the center of our lives. We work on our relationships We work on our bodies in the gym to be attractive beyond what any form of attraction was in the olden days. And then it's exhausting even talking to you about this. So if I am not my work, then who am I? Which is what we talked about it. You could just come back to a soul, a curious mind, a podcast conversationalist.
1: It reminds me of a thought that I had just the other day because I've actually taken up embroidery and it's, really brought some sense of peace. And it's just something that I've been doing for fun. And I think the immediate thought I had was, well, if I get good at this, maybe I can find a way to sell something. Because this idea of, well, if you're good at something, you should turn it into a side hustle has just become so prominent nowadays. And the next thought that I had after that was, well, why has everything that we do become a way that we need to monetize it? Why do we need to turn it into something that's going to be work? And, and then I read that article about total work. And so it yeah. spurred on that thought of, well, I, I'm doing it because I enjoy it, not not because I want to turn it into something. And we take things that initially were meant to be fun and were meant to be hobbies, were meant to be things that were supposed to bring joy into your life, and then we turn it into work. But that seems like such a natural progression of everything. Like if you're good at something, you should make money off of it. Why not?
0: Yeah. There's a quote saying something like entrepreneurs work 80 hours a week so they don't have to work 40 as like, you know, I don't know, I'm just paraphrasing. And then you know, people in London would would be, would be go called the magic uh, roundabout where it would pick them up at their law firm and they would, it would drive them home, wait for them to shower and grab some clean clothes and then take them back to the office. And people would pass out from um, exhaustion as they did, as they do in Japan, death by exhaustion. So this had that. And then what you saw was like this wave of like the four hour work week or the four day work week or working smart and work life balance. And like a little bit of like this idea that there's work and life and that you should have some sort of like life outside of work. And then there's like, no, if you're 22 years old and you're starting a startup, there's nothing else. You eat, sleep and breathe your product. And I I don't know what's right for someone else. Maybe three or four years of like complete straight up work is the only thing that exists. And then you come through that and then you have a breakthrough. So you're like, there's a lot of ways to go about this. But in terms of like, the way that fashion magazines in the 50s and 60s modeled the the ideal woman that sent a whole industry into sort of this ideal of beauty in the same way the hustle is, has been for like a decade or more probably maybe even two decades created this sort of mandate or perceived pressure to productize, monetize Commercialized.
1: Well, with Social Fabric, have you ever worked like 80 hours a week or has that ever been a thing for you?
0: Well, I, yeah, I burnt out. So Social Fabric's gone through three incarnations generally. I had a big fancy flash website. I was working with a Japanese software engineer and graphic designers and people just wanted websites. They basically wanted digital presence. And that was, you know, I remember one client that was a bank and it was the first time, this was before remote work was really a thing. And it was the worst nightmare. Time zones, over-engineering, miscommunication with email, no Slack. Slack might have been bad. Anyway, so that was the first incarnation. Mm. The second incarnation was really fashion. And it was wholesale, selling other brands. And we had two or three brands. And that's when I got burnt out because I was doing way too many things, not very well thinking you know i was 27 when i started social fabric i was probably 30 31 by this time and that's when i you know self-diagnosed burnout which i've actually read recently is now a medical condition usually you were doing labor like you worked in the mines in brazil and, and and then you like literally collapsed from exhaustion so that's our incarnation too and then i was like okay i you know people say you pivot I mean, you, don't really, you pivot your career, you pivot a startup. So I, I transitioned to sell services and to, to get into this world where what I was selling and what I was doing was really about me, teaching, writing, coaching, and so forth. And that is how Social Fabric kind of exists now, where it's just a band of misfits, mm. and or shapers. But I'd say I work, I work work at least four hours a day, three to four hours a day. In, with deep work and doing things that I really couldn't do more of because I would be ineffective. And then everything else could be seen as marketing, research, leisure, eating, fun, blah, blah, blah. But it's not so four hours of not leisure, which we would call, say, work per day is probably my average. So and I take one day off a week. So that's four times six, 12 24 hours so I'm doing pretty good of like 24 hours of focus work a week if you had to put it on paper
1: Well it's interesting that social fabric has gone through three iterations because if they're and they're so different as well and yet you kept the name social fabric. It just takes me back to that first question I asked you, like if you strip all the labels, if you strip social fabric, it it sounds like it's two or three different entities almost. And yet the name social fabric, that label in the sense hasn't affected the direction in which you've taken your business.
0: Yeah. I mean, at one point I was like, this is not really working with my brother in that I trust him wholly, but he's a lawyer and Mm. his energy and the things that he's doing, even though he's an entertainment lawyer, it just wasn't are our, our values are the same, which is great, but our practice is different. He has a law practice. I have mm. a learning design practice, helping people create cultures and environments for learning. So they were too far apart, but you know, it was nice to think of, to go into right. business with your brother. But when I set up Social Fabric in London, I was on my own, and I had a business partner with the fashion business. Then we parted ways, and then I had my brother and and what you remind me of is actually like facebook unbundling when you think of like facebook messenger is like let's unbundle that let's let's buy instagram and then put our logo there one day cheekily let's buy whatsapp and share information so like i'm not comparing myself to facebook however at one point with a conversation with allison several years ago it was like you're a coach you should be a coach and people don't go to social fabric to get a coach they go to jonas so a part of me shows up as Jonas the coach. When I teach at a university, they're not—I'm invoicing by a social fabric as a as an educator, but they're 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 hiring Jonas the teacher. So so I'm, we're back to like labels of how you show up, which is to say that exactly to your point is if it matters to someone that the name has currency, the irony is that social fabric is really. Uh, a quote from Margaret Mead, the anthropologist, which is like, it it makes our society what it is when we gather diverse people together to do great work. And, And Social Fabric, in many ways, at least in Vancouver, is a fashion textile recycling company. So you have the word fabric. And then you have social marketing and social media. So people think it's a marketing social media company. I can't tell you how many people have applied for jobs. like, I'm a blogger. I'm good for you. <laughs> uh, and then there are people, and I get really interesting people who are sociologists and sustainability mm. consultants and social entrepreneurs that are like, I want to make a difference in the world. And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, I'm not sure if this vehicle can can help you and be a fit. And that's the direction I'd like to take it in. Is like, if it's about transformation becoming a better company a better team a better person and there's a fit in how to do that then then I think that that's worth exploring what lights me up now as you probably know is is a lot of this in a way that has uh, intention to be uh, unique to each team or individual as opposed to a one-size-fits-all
1: You mentioned you do coaching, and I guess before I had met you, I didn't really know what a coach was, and I had heard what a mentor was. What is the difference between a coach and a mentor?
0: You know, it's a funny one because coach conjures up a lot in a lot of people, and for me, historically, it's been negative. It's been Mm. snake oil, Instagram, life coaches, and people who want to be something but aren't it. And so there are some people I think who maybe wake up and say, I want to be a coach, and that might be a football coach, a sports coach, but the coaching profession has like completely skyrocketed in the last quarter of a century, even in the last decade, as proactive well being. So you go to a the therapist to go into the past, and you go to a coach to look at the present and the future. The mentoring, from my experience, is less formal than coaching. So if someone's like, I'm mentoring this startup or I'm mentoring this person. Often, there's not a financial exchange. Often, it might not be the cadence or that's coaching speak for like the frequency and the obligation of like you show up Thursdays at three o'clock every month or every other Thursday. But yes, there are probably mentor relationships that have that formality mentors tend to possibly not just be only one. So you might have one mentor or you might have several mentors. So it's like a personal advisory board where often people have one coach. Sometimes people have a dating coach and a business coach or a spiritual coach. And then the other one is about partnership. So I think that a mentor somehow is deemed to um, possess the expertise, the knowledge, the know-how to solve or help the other person in a way that is much more in the consulting and advising world. And the coach is a partner in the car with you, driving, and is there to offer some suggestions, maybe to help navigate on Google Maps, maybe to inquire with you how it feels to be driving for 10 hours, and in many ways expose blind spots or allow you to see a new reality, that you then go and do, as opposed to you go and do, and then you say, I did what you said, now what? So one is dependability, and one is reliability. And that's why I love coaching, is because I basically get fired if I do a good job, <laughs> usually within three months. Like, the, the quickest I've been fired, I think is probably like a month, but that's probably another story. But three months is fast, six months is, is good, And I've been trying to fire my coach for a year and a half. And we we kind of laugh at it because a good coach isn't creating dependability. They're they're optimizing for self-reliance.
1: So would you consider yourself a life coach?
0: I I use the the term work and career, but Mm -hmm. immediately it goes into the operating soul, the the personal operating system and, and things that are considered life. Maybe I just need to get over my aversion to life coach. But, like, on my website and in my literature, you'll, you'll see business, career, and change or transitions, but you won't see the word life. Mm. And if you do, it might be with the aim of, like, life design. But, yeah, I don't have a problem saying I do life coaching. I still have a, a resistance for some reason. Maybe I have to let go of that story.
1: Well, um, I, I feel like I can kind of understand why you would have the resistance, because a lot of the times when you hear life coach, oftentimes there's this image, and I think it's perpetuated in culture and movies, and it, it's probably been portrayed in a way where it's a little bit mocking in the sense that somebody yeah. needs a life coach because they are unable to be a productive member of society. And I don't know how many people have actually been put off of having a coach because of that, because of how it's been portrayed.
0: Sure. I mean, if you're stuck, I mean, if, if you believe you're stuck, which, you know, you could call it mental confusion, then you can go to alcohol and drugs, you can go to therapy, you can suffer alone, you can go to friends, you can go to mentors, you can pay consultants. There's a American entrepreneur and coach, Mary Forleo, and she's like a life coach to like badass CEOs and like tech entrepreneurs and like people are paying her money. And so I think there's at least two, if not more, but let's just go with two for now. Qualities of a coach that could make them highly effective. One would be being agnostic and not having domain knowledge. So working with someone in the healthcare industry and kind of not knowing anything about big pharma or nursing or medicine is an asset. Because you're coming with an objective point of view. And then the person gets this like brain blink because the coach asks the right type of questions, which are open-ended, generous, powerful, with a direct line of thinking that gets them from A to B, usually in an hour or in a couple of months. So that's one. And then the second one is, I think what she was saying was being in your power or just owning it. So you step in back to our ways of showing up in the world. You step into that mode. You've set the alliance that we're having a coaching conversation, which means it's about you. You're going to do most of the talking. I'm going to ask a few prompts, a few questions. And through this inquiry or discerning inquiry, you are going to connect things you didn't connect. You are going to start doing things. You're going to stop doing things. You're in the driver's seat. I'm by your side. And that energy is kind of a human impulse for proximity. So if you're not getting that from your spouse or your partner or your kids or your brothers and sisters or your families, a coach is a great way to get that. And I can tell when the person is like, can I just pick your brain? I need a session, which is back to dependability, bad. Or when I check in with someone because they've full on gone into like rocket ship mode and I just I'm like, hey, like. What's been going on? And they're like, oh, my God, you'll never believe what happened. My embroidery, it, well, I started doing a few for my friends. And the next thing you know, my Etsy store is blowing up. But I, it's funny, but I really actually enjoy it. But I've created boundaries around how much I'll do. And now I'm basically not responsible for your flourishing embroidery company. You did all the work. I just sort of hung out and watched in awe.
1: Mm-hmm. So – You said that people who normally go for coaching, they're typically people who are stuck. But do you feel like normally in that relationship, it's the coach who's like, I sense that you're ready now to be without a coach, or is it more the person who's going for it, who's like, I don't need you anymore?
0: Oh, it's a good question. So the first thing to say is stuck is a very dangerous word. So one would be the saboteur's, which is you know, the things that show up that, are, that make up the resistance of imposter syndrome, inner critic, things that hold you back. Often for Jungian would be your shadow self and your subconscious, really just sabotaging the shit that you want to do. So that's a whole like world of coaching, which is just naming your inner critic, naming the things that hold you back, which is the things that are keeping you stuck. So that's definitely one need state. If you're using like user experience, like that's what brings someone to a coach. But there's also proactive well-being of like a new adventure, starting a new business, a new relationship, move to a new city. And it's like I need help in this exciting time of my life, which would be a a transition to the new and the unknown, which is also great because there's a different energy to that. And if they have no experience with coaching, then you're showing up as their blueprint and the model, which is beautiful, but it's dangerous because then they're going to think every coach is like Jonas, which is like, at some points we were having kind of fun because we have a little bit of affinity and rapport, but I don't want it to feel like we're in therapy and I don't want it to feel like you're being interrogated. I do want it to feel like a deliberate conversation. So when that person has no model of coaching, that's an opportunity to to give them a taste. And when they do, and you ask them, like, well, what happened with their other coach? They could say, I grew out of them, or they were a business coach, and I'm looking for more of a life, personal, spiritual. Or sometimes they have two coaches, or they're seeing a, th- a lot of people I work with are also seeing a therapist. So, it, it, I, you know, I call it the personal advisory board. It's like the more people you have in your support system, whatever their label, probably the better. So, yeah, I mean, I've had many people, not many, but I've had several people that I'll talk to, and I'll be like, I'm not the right person for you and I've recommended other people or I tell them to keep hunting or I say maybe in another scenario, this is like what I do. And if that seems to resonate with you later, but that's like law of attraction as well. Like people are in transition sort of show up on my doorstep Mm. and I also seek out people subconsciously or consciously who are in a pronounced transition.
1: So has it been more, That person feeling like they've reached a certain conclusion to the relationship of how much you are able to guide them or help them? Or has it been more of you being like, this is where I feel you are ready to move into a different direction?
0: Well, historically, I've never been good at designing for ends. So now I kind of look at the arc. So a a really good example would be I worked with a fellow for a year. He had so many things going on in his life, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying, but I'll keep him anonymous, of course. And things came into focus. So there is one part of him, which is like growing educationally, doing his grad degree. Then there was his family, his wife and his kids. Then there was his job. Then there was his personal fitness. And then there was his family and friends and community. And there were some other things, but like that covers quite a few. It's like the wheel of life, and he's bouncing around. So like, get on the call. It's like, what's going on? Like, what do you want to talk about? So we went through all of these, and he's like you. He reads and he does his work and he reflects and he writes after a week and says, I did what you said and or what we came up with or your challenge. And at the at the end, towards the end, it just came to this acknowledgement that our time here is done. The, the the party is over, my friend, and let's wrap this up and I'm here for you. And if you want to pick back up in a year or in six months or never, or you want referral to someone. So it's, it's a mutual acknowledgement. But if I sense that it's now becoming like they, they're just, relu- they, they just got into a habit of having a conversation with me. I call it out. And I, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying the, the either you need someone else or what's going on here is kind of like the, I want to pick your brain and that's mm-hmm. moving into the mentoring and advising and consulting. And that's not my current relationship with you. And I don't mm-hmm. really do that anymore. But if you do want to do that and you're like launching a business and you want to do brand identity or sales strategy, I know brand coaches and I know sales coaches or sales consultants, if you want to call them that. So that's that's me growing. And I've only been formally coaching in, since about 2014, 15. So I'm only about five years in of, like, owning the hat. And so I still have a lot to learn about, like, knowing if it's a good fit. And then if it is a good fit, understanding, to your point, like, what's the right way to part ways? Not just amicably, but with, like, grace and acknowledgement and gratitude and that's hard that's why shapers program was quite interesting because we knew it was going to end All after right. eight weeks but it was almost i don't know how it felt for you but we it was almost like a, sort of a turning of the dial it wasn't really like you graduated and you threw your hats and that was purposeful but it also kind of might have left a few people of like is it over like what do we is that it and you know i'm i'm thinking about how I like to learn, which is never, it never ends, like until we're six feet under.
1: I think that's a perfect segue for me to ask you, what would a coaching session look like with you? In the following segment, Jonas took me through a mini coaching session asking questions like,
0: what is something that you want more of in your life? Or what is there to subtract and have less of? Do you believe wholeheartedly that you have a hack trick practice ritual that is going to allow you to look at the clock tomorrow and not panic.
1: If you're interested to hear what a coaching experience might sound like, visit the link in the show notes where you can listen to the full recording. Now, back to the conversation.
0: Coaches should have an agenda, passive, which is to help that person transform or flourish. That's my, mm. like I want you to thrive. Mm. That's my agenda. But I can't show up with that. Have you tried neurotropics? Have you tried breath work? Like, you know, so so that's why it's very interesting to basically have ego disillusion and and for someone like me to to have to unlearn talking, practice active listening, trust your gut, forget about what you want to say or even what you want to ask. And constantly think about like human-centered design. You're mm. the subject. It's all about you. And figuring out how to not want to offer and help and advise is is basically an undoing of what I've been conditioned. And that's why it's challenging for me. Right, right. trying, you should try deep work and you should try like not emailing people. Ever or just delete Facebook, and like that's not yeah. helpful. Just being a friend, saying, this is what I tried, you should try it too. What are you going to spend your time doing? What's so important, and how are you feeling? Can you do social media then? Can you edit this video then, or do you want to come home and have your DoorDash week, and then do the editing at home, and tell Dan you're coming in late, because you were editing the video? These are all choices you get, and the more... Mm that balance and joy and passion.
1: Is there a question that I should have asked you?
0: If we were having our first beer on the boardwalk, I would say, what is worth living for? And I don't Mm. think tonight we're gonna get there with our brain power. I'll
1: note that, Darren. We'll have to have a conversation about that sooner or later. (laughs) And then I think you touched on this a little bit, but what do you have more space for in 2021?
0: I have more space for space, and that means I have more space for conversations like this with you. I have more space for, sti- uh, sti- that's a space for stillness, which <laughs> yeah. is related to space. so So if we watch ourselves as like a black and white movie in fast forward or time lapse, we're always moving from the time we get up, brushing our teeth, doing the dishes, doing the laundry, going to work, not going to work. Opening the fridge, cutting carrots, prepping our food, going to the gym. So stillness for me is 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 either like stopping or using a moving meditation, surfing, walking, etc. And then I had one other thing. I have more space for triads, which is no agenda, three people, and your co-regulators. So sometimes you're going through something, and you might start and be like, I just want more balance in my life. And as opposed to a coaching conversation, I'd offer something up, I'd share something, maybe it lands, maybe it doesn't. I'm not asking you questions, I'm not leading you anywhere. When you just show up as you with another person or two other people, it's kind of like friends that hold space for each other, but you're not really having the same, what's the word? casualness and impromptu, kind of fun, silly, there's like, I'm gonna lean into you and you're gonna lean into me depending on what you need. So I th- if he listens to this, Josh, thank you for introducing me and Allison to this, which is sort of informal formal. is like structure, mm-hmm. unstructured, gooey, prickly in uh, in a good balance. So more of that. Love
1: it. Well, thanks, Josh. I really enjoyed our conversation. But-
0: and thanks so much for making this happen. Have a great afternoon. The Future of Now podcast is produced by More Space for Life. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, please stay safe, look after each other, and as always, be awesome.